was 2005, in October of 2005, when you were but a 22 going on 23-year-old, as I was already 23. Mm -hmm. Christine, what was your life like? Where were you? What were you thinking? Were you thinking that everything was going to change now that 12 Masters of Horror had free reign to make their own hour-long special for Showtime? Um. No, 2005. I don't think I knew this really existed mm. in 2005. Sure. I'm more. I'm more of like a let's call me like a 2007 kind of gal. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't watch this until it was. It was on DVD. Okay. Like, it was available to the home market because sure. I did not have pay cha- channels, and it really wasn't on my radar. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so- we should announce this is the Masters of Horror Masters and eventually of Horror. Fear Itself coverage. <laughs> um, so, Christine, had you've been watching them like fairly often? Like you've just always kind of go back to these, right? I am upset. I have a mild obsession with them, and I think it's because they are strange. Mm-hmm. It's strange that they exist. Yes, they are varying degrees of quality. Very much. A lot of them, the vast majority of them, are from directors whose name you know like if you've even dipped a toe in the horror genre like they're they're like heavy hitters Mm -hmm. this there's no fucking around with this this isn't some dude that just did this one thing one time these are like icons yes and again varying degrees of success with the way that these are achieved and varying degrees of success by the time they were making these this this is very true yeah but still i mean and i i'm sure he'll come up in his own way but like toby hooper is still toby hooper right whether or not toby hooper's a has-been or never was depending on who you ask by the time this comes about he's still toby hooper and you don't you don't make a list of iconic anything in the horror genre without talking about Texas Chainsaw. Mm-hmm. So it's like that. I think that's fascinating for me. And I think the fact that a lot of the directors pulled in people from their own orbit to Definitely. be in these is fascinating. And I think to a to a different degree that I don't think I've realized until like really thinking about it this last time when I went off on a coping tangent is because I think it's interesting because it's short form horror storytelling again to various degrees of success and And various lengths too. Yeah. I kind of wish they were all a little shorter, but see that's, and, and, and we're going to do these chronologically. Mm -hmm. So episode, our episode one is their episode one. So So we'll get into this in this episode, but like, yes, it's the wrong length. It needs to be longer or shorter. Yes. Yeah. 50 minutes is just, it's a weird I don't know. And what's very strange is, um, so for those of you who don't own the very elaborately packaged box set of these, uh, these are streaming on the Roku channel. Mm-hmm. And the Roku channel does have commercials, which is really strange because these were never meant to have commercials. Yeah. They're not cut in any way where there is a natural break. And so the break tends to come at a really awkward time. Uh, and if you use the Roku channel, which is similar to, I guess, Voodoo and some of the other like free streaming that do have commercials, the commercials are louder than the show, which is really, really upsetting. Like, it actually makes me uncomfortable every time that happens. I have to sit there holding my remote so I can mute them because they're too loud. Mm-hmm. And they tend to repeat. And they are so, um, for the most part, cheerful and upbeat. <laughs> 
and yet you're watching very dark material. So mm-hmm. it's a weird experience. I kind of, I don't know, I'm going to look to see if the DVD set's cheap because I might just buy it to avoid that. Um, yeah, I at one point I jointly owned this uh, season, this first season, uh, no longer. Mm-hmm. So I am, I am doing the channel. I will say that I have seen both seasons and Fear itself, the DVDs, on sale very cheap at sure. like resale. I mean, I know we can't leave our houses right now, but <laughs> re- reselling places like half price books. If you have uh, one of those around, yeah, you. I don't. <laughs> it's it's always been like available-ish. Yep. So I'm thinking maybe the next time it comes into my uh, view, I'll just grab it. Yep. Um, and today we are going to go into detail on episode one, but I do want to kind of start first just by framing these, I think, and framing like at least our initial experiences with them. Because I watched them, I watched, I didn't get to watch all of them when they came out. Because I think what was so interesting when we started talking about these and thinking back to like, remembering when I watched them was I was 23 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm 38 now. It was a different lifetime for me when I really think about it. I was, so when this one aired, I was still living in Manhattan after graduating college. I was a dog walker for about two years. And so the series started when I was still doing that. And then at a certain point, I didn't get to see all of them because I didn't have showtime. I would either, I guess, download them if I was doing that then or... Um, I did a lot of dog sitting for wealthy people who had on demand or who had showtime. So I would usually watch it that way. And I know I ended up watching the rest of them later in the year when I moved to Korea and taught English for a year. So again, it's like I think back and it 15 years is a really long time ago. Mm -hmm. And so there's Mm -hmm. the datedness of these being such a timestamp for that era because 2005, I think what was popular in mainstream horror, which even though these are, for the most part, older established directors, rather than like at the time, younger, like modern directors who were making those movies, you can see that they're all kind of trying to do that uh, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like certain episodes that you watch and you're like, oh my God, this is you could see this was made the same year that Saw was made or the same year that Repo was made or whatever else was coming out around that. So I think that's so interesting. And I haven't rewatched any of these since they since I first watched them in like between 2005 and 2007. So it is quite a memory lane dip for me. Well, what's funny is you, you've always had such a good recall of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because we've talked about them multiple times, and I know you've probably said that you only watched them when they aired, mm-hmm. but I am still surprised hearing you say that again because you have such a robust recall. I, of it's them. true, actually. And it's, <laughs> I guess what it is, is that they were, even though I couldn't necessarily, I didn't have the means to like definitely watch everyone when they came out, they were really important to me because. It, this was still, this was before streaming, this was before, mm-hmm. you know, this was still the video store era to an extent. Um, it's, it's, it's before Netflix was really a thing, or was actively, like, Netflix was around, but I didn't have it at the time. I don't think most people had it. And so to see horror that was, like, old school horror by names that... I knew, but that most people that were going to see, let's say, like, Saw and Resident Evil and whatever was coming out in the theaters, who they didn't know these people. 
And finally, it was going to be, oh my god, Toby Hooper and Stuart Gordon making making stuff again that I can actually watch. And so they were really exciting for me at the time. Most of them, I won't say were disappointing, because I think there's a huge range of satisfaction I get from these. Yes. Um, none of them, to me, with a few exceptions, really live up. And my concern is I feel like the ones that I thought were really good might not hold up as well as I thought they did. I don't know. We'll find out. Um but yeah, so I think these were important to me, even if I couldn't experience them as much as I wanted to back at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those, like like when Land of the Dead came out. Land of the Dead, which I have still not seen that many times. I probably only watched no, it like No, rewatch it again. It's so good. Oh, I know, I know. We did an episode on it. Oh, yeah. I that. <laughs> I forgot who I was talking to. I'm like, no, I have to, I have to convince you. It's actually a good movie. Like, no, no, I we, fucking We spent an hour movie. agreeing on, on that I, point. Sorry. It's, I forgot. It's okay. <laughs> But it's one of those things that I remembered everything about it for so long after because it was like, oh, my God, George Romero finally made another zombie movie. And he was, which is funny we say that because he was supposed to make one of these. But I think there was some kind of scheduling thing that happened. So, Um, but we'll get there. I think that's the last episode of season one that was supposed to be his or something. Um, But let's, before we get into this episode, um, we should give credit to Mick Garris. Yes, thanks, Mick. Thanks, Mick. It's, I always say, I think Mick Garris seems like a really nice guy. Um, he clearly knows horror really well. I think he's a very good interviewer. Um, I would love to sit down and have dinner with him. I think we would talk for hours and we'd be really good friends. Doesn't mean I necessarily like anything he's directed very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was absolutely his brainchild. He with somebody that really, I mean, he is a fanboy and was fans of all these director, all these guys, I'm going to say, because with like one exception, they're all guys. Yep. And like had a really good idea, which was, oh, all of these legends are still, are having a hard time producing things because nobody wants to take the chance on them. They want to, they don't want to work within a studio system. They want to be, you know, they don't want to be tethered to getting an R rating or a PG-13 rating even. Um, How cool would it be if, you know, they all just were able to make something and they, you know, there's no tying. I'm sure they all had like a certain budget. Like that was probably, you know, whatever. And I'm curious what the budget was actually now that I said that. Um, but it was really just, yeah, tell whatever story you want to tell, go as in gross or light as you want to, um, no regulations, no rules, just give us somewhere around an hour long show. Well, I think, and that is why you get such varying degrees of, uh, success because I do not think some of these people are good short form storytellers. And it's frustrating to see somebody dick around and waste 51 precious minutes yeah yeah when maybe that material should have just been 90 minutes or or you know like a tight twilight zone episode yes very much (laughs) and again like it really pacing is probably the biggest issue the pacing and bad cgi are probably the two things that so far i've rewatched the first three and those are the three things that i keep seeing Mm -hmm. um but let's uh now before we get into the episode we have some very, what's the word? Um, oh, what would you say? Very enthusiastic opening credits. Um, enthusiastic is the word that you would use. I feel like they're like enthusiastic in the sense of they're trying really hard. <laughs> they're trying really hard. So this is this is um, fifteen years ago. Um, so I get it. Not every opening credits can look like Hannibal, and they still don't. But True. 
this this opening credits is so exhausting, um, <laughs> especially when you're watching multiple yep. because like s- just skip it honestly like <laughs> Roku, Roku channel give me the option to skip it it's it it's fine at the beginning like the music is fine and the little blood droppies are fine yep. and it's fine but the second you get deep into the deep into the stock footage vault and then a and then a doll smiles at you knowingly <laughs> it's just like. Like, guys, it, it really makes you question, Mick Garris, I don't mean I'm questioning your vision. I mean, I'm questioning the vision of the show. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder what the tone of this is supposed to be. Yeah. Because a baby just winked at me. <laughs> um, I love the baby wink so much because it's so stupid. But, like, what is the show? So this is going to be stupid, well, which is, I guess, fine. No, because I think not. at the time, I think what the idea is, because remember, this is before Dexter's credits. It's before American Horror Stories credits, which I feel like, oh, a lot of thanks to these credits. Well, this reminds me of Millennium's opening credits. Oh, I didn't the, watch Millennium. The, the television program, Millennium, if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking that about. That was the X-Men spinoff. Um, yeah, the okay. Lance Henriksen um, joint, yes, which which used a lot of stock footage. Please, I know because they used similar stock, the same stock footage in music videos that came out <laughs> at the same time. Well, so I, I got it. it. But this is it's 2005. It's not that long ago. <laughs> Millennium predated the Millennium, so that was. <laughs> well, that was way before. I think what I love about the opening credits is they're like. Because you could see, and I, I don't know who's responsible for them, but it was very much like, okay, so what, what, what is this going to? Well, it's going to a horror anthology. Oh, okay, what are are the episodes all about? Like zombies or the no, they're all about something different. Oh, okay, like are they all take place at the same time period? No, no, no. Some are in the future. Some are old fashioned. Some are okay. So, like, what's the tying theme? Horror. Okay. Um. So, like, uh eyeballs and pentagrams and a rat getting like you know we speed up the footage of a rat desiccating or oh axes like oh and dolls right you got a killer doll somewhere in there right well actually not in this season but um yeah i mean people when you say horror anthology you expect a killer doll so yeah throw a doll head in there and it's fine again like the hodgepodge is not where my issue is it's the tonality of the hodgepodge <laughs> like I, like i like, am I going to get, like, a severed hand giving me a thumbs up? Like, I don't <laughs> understand. Oh. I'm trying to remember. Is season two the same credits? Um, I'm going to tell you this about that. I have only seen some of the season two episodes. Yeah. Oh, me too. And I do not remember a lot of them because okay. I was not impressed. Yeah, season two for me is going to be... I'm pretty sure I saw every episode of season one with maybe one or two exceptions. Yeah. Season two, I know I've only seen the ones that everybody always talked about. Mm-hmm. And then Fear Itself, I've never seen any. So it's going to be a journey. And we're going to give them to you. So let's Woo. let's start with the first one. Incident on and off a mountain road. Uh, directed by Don Coscarelli, who... Mm-hmm. And I feel like we need to start always by saying, is this a master of horror? So, Christine, is Don Coscarelli a master of horror? Don Coscarelli is without a doubt a master of horror. I would agree. That being said, friends, and it's fine if you disagree... Phantasm seems like a happy accident when you rewatch it. <laughs> um, You're like, oh, I'm so glad this worked out because it looks like it might not have. <laughs> um, Phantasm is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Look, I have eyes, I have taste. It's an amazing movie. But upon adult rewatches of it, you realize that it is thin at best. <laughs> and they um, get four of them. 
He made four of them. He directed all four. He he did. Um, to again, I this is the tagline for this episode: to varying degrees of success. <laughs> I've seen. I have seen. Oh wow! I've never seen Survival Quest, which is apparently something Don Coscarelli directed. I have seen every other Don Coscarelli movie, including um, Beastmaster, one of my favorites. So to say that I don't like him is ridiculous. Come on, but. But to, do I think that he's, like, air quotes, good? Look. <laughs> I don't know. Do I think Toby Hooper is air quotes good? No, I don't know. But, so, like, but if you're collecting people of mm-hmm. this ilk, my God, you'd yeah. be a dope not to get Don Coscarelli. Don Coscarelli is a master of horror. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, he is also working with material from a writer who I would call a master of horror, and that's Joe okay. Lansdale. Yep. Which, yes, I my cup of tea, not so much. Do I understand that? Yeah. Okay. Good. Fine. Yeah. Uh, it's all here. It's all here. It's yep. it's it's good. This is a this <sighs> this is the. When you get a good Masters of Horror, you hope it's this good. Yes. And I think this is a really <laughs> smart... Is this a rave review? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't... And again, it's... This is all... I, back in the day, because I, I don't know what I'll think this time, I remember not thinking this isn't the best of season one, but I feel like it is the almost... And I don't know why, what went into the thought process of the order of, in which they aired... But I think this was absolutely the right one to debut with. Fuck yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yep. Because it just so kind of, it it is exactly (laughs) right in what it's doing. It is, okay, here's here's what the show is going to be. It's going to be a mix of things, um, horror of different types and different subgenres. And, you know, this one is, is sort of a backwoods slasher with other elements to it. Um. And this is the, this to me is the one where again I think it could have been shorter. Um, it it could have been shorter. Or it needed to be a full length right feature yeah. script, and you you felt it in this one. It I felt you, I felt like time was ticking, and I didn't know why. Mm. Like what what is this telling me? As someone who who fancies themselves a short fiction writer, I don't. I don't ever want to stop and think, why are you telling me this? Why are you showing me this? Every Mm. single thing needs to push me towards the end of the story. And when you're driving down a road that is shot day for night for that long, (laughs) you are not pushing me towards the completion of the narrative. I get that it's important. It's literally called road. Like I get it, but, but there's a, there's a lack of finesse in, in the in the way that this is this is put together that frustrated me that's fair um and I think the reveal of the villain being what he is so early on is kind of a really good like there's something about that and I guess we should tell very briefly it's about a young woman who is driving alone uh down a winding road where there is nobody for 75 miles she gets into a car accident there's an abandoned car Uh, She gets out of the car to see if the other person's okay and sees a woman being dragged away by this kind of giant um, monsterish man. And then it is just essentially a chase 
between her and him and he's you know he gets her at one point brings her to his cabin in the woods uh where craziness ensues meanwhile we get flashbacks of her courtship and marriage to ethan embry and the reveal of her kind of coming out of the car and discovering him there's something about that because i remember watching this and remember this is one where i go back and watch it and i'm like i remember us not seeing his face for most of the episode but no that's not true at all they show him right away and you're like oh he's weird looking i don't know what he is okay and there's something about that where it's like not how you would do it like if it was a full-length movie you would have played with it longer and Mm -hmm. the reveal of this figure and then he turns around at a certain point and you see oh my god he's a monster but they don't do that and it's weird this this really had a lot of Jeepers Creepers vibes, like heavy yeah, Jeepers Creepers vibes, point. which is good. If you ever have the urge to watch Jeepers Creepers, never watch, watch it, it again. Just watch, watch this. this. It's a very good point. <laughs> um, so, yes, you're right. And this movie, in this movie, this episode, like many of the other ones, has some not that amazing effects. Mm-hmm. But I will say the not so amazing effects from this one are the things that I remember and not like in a and mocking way like in a fond way like him jumping with the moon behind him <laughs> looks cool or it looked cool to me then sure. and there's some like eye hole stuff that looked cool mm-hmm. to me i think but like i for me the strength of this one is in the the close to the vest storytelling and i feel like it fumbles it a couple times because the the strength for me is is I'm not I'm not saying it's a twist. Spoilers. Yep. Um the strength for me is is the twist is that um our female protagonist is is not inept. She's right. not she is, she, yeah. she's she's better equipped to handle this situation than anybody else who could have been on that road. Yeah, it's and very you're next in that way. Yeah, Zach And I wonder that. if you're next like owed anything to this. Well, Brie Turner, who you might know from things, I don't, but she's extremely familiar and she's in stuff, has a, a female protagonist from uh, your next feeling to her. Yeah, I can never remember her name. Sharni Vinchin. There it is. I knew you would know. I, of course I do. Um, she was in Step Up 3 and I have a picture with her. So, <laughs> Well, because I think, and I like Brie Turner in this. I, again, I haven't seen her in much. Everything I looked at her from, I'm like, she looks so familiar, but the only thing of hers that I would have seen, she's in the opening song of My Best Friend's Wedding, and I would never called her from that. But she has, like, the right look, and it's similar to Charney Vinchin, where, you know, they're, they're brunettes who look like, oh, yeah, they they could defend themselves. Like, they, they're, they're physically strong, not just pretty. Mm-hmm. So the strength for me is that I have so much to say about the story and I don't have very much to say about the actual episode, which I guess it says what I'm focusing on here. But so the the subversion, again, air quotes, is that you think that this this ethereal monster is going to murder her. But in fact, she she has murdered the true monster in her life, which is her unhinged, abusive husband so that she's capable of murdering anything. So it's it's cool? It's cool. I'm going to say that it's cool. <laughs> and I'm going to say that it's cool in 2005. But it also is like... I, this is a now critique, too. Sure. But like, how much trauma does my protagonist have to go through before they can, they can self-actualize? Like, I don't... How about none? 
that would be nice, maybe. But, like, that's obviously not what we're watching. And, again, 15 years ago, we really weren't doing that then. Sure. So, like, there is a bit of, like, a rape revenge to it because you have to have a terrible thing happen for her to to actualize, which blows. So you do get – I'm going to keep a tally. You do get somebody tied up in a basement, mm-hmm. and which, again, sucks. Yep. You get – you do get a woman who is terrorized and murdered. Yes. Which sucks. And clearly the implication that other women have been there terrorized and murdered. And I get that though yeah. though Moonface, who is our villain's yes. name, um, I get that he is like an, an analog for abuse. He is the ultimate uh, male abuse. I, I appreciate a lot of what this did story-wise. I mm-hmm. do feel like it lacked some finesse and some care. Yeah, and there is, uh, if this makes it any better, better for for a show that does have rape later in it um there is a clear statement of he doesn't do anything to them sexually because you have um angus scrim as sort of the crazy old man who lives in the cabin telling uh brie turner whose character's name is ellen that oh don't like don't try to seduce him like these girls did and look what ended up to them like there is an implication that he doesn't want to do anything sexually to the people he's taking he just wants to kill them in very painful ways can i argue with you that that was even worse and i will and i will tell yeah. you why i'm saying Well, because it's a little you think it's a little um which i don't even do we still use the term slut shaming yes okay um because i know like we don't use the word slut in a bad way so i don't like saying like it's like when you don't like saying it but the ter- <laughs> the concept is still very important uh, to say to not do I think that using that term is fine, but we she also gets raped. Like Ethan oh, Embry sh- rapes her. Yes, but I'm saying because I, I think we need to. That's a whole separate conversation we'll have in a minute. <laughs> but that Moonface as a as but, a villainous so- creature who's kidnapping women and men too, but clearly women. It is deliberately stated in this you know by this character that's watched it happen he's not going to do anything to them sexually he doesn't he's not interested well, in them for that he just wants to murder well, them arguably he 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 murders them worse because they want it they yes because, because they, they they sexualized him which right is terrible that's very much so <laughs> so like you're gonna kill me either way but if i say i'll do anything let me s your d don't yeah. kill me. You get killed worse, worse because you because you sexualize the situation. Yes. Which was just like again, hello sure. everyone. I'm Christine and it's 2005. I get it. <laughs> but, but like I like I said to Zach, like in the 70s, women were able to take power only after something terrible happened to them. Very much. And 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 this is 2005. So why did we make such little ground? I'll tell you why. Because there's absolutely no fucking women in these shows. Which <laughs> yes. So we made no ground. We covered no ground, and we're still 15 years later, still struggling to not get a woman tied up in a basement. Yeah. So it's just a bummer how slow. Right. You, you have after how many years of Blumhouse making horror films, you finally had one directed by a woman. After how many VHSs? Oh no, you still don't have any with women directors. Like it's just. It's yeah. just maybe the, 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 the narratives are stalled because we're not getting different voices. Yeah, I'd agree. So it just bummed me out in that because, but again, I see movies made now with ladies tied up that are way worse than sure. this. This really did. She, she was cool and she got shit done yeah. and I, and she was not sexualized and she was not like 
she was brutalized, but I, again, I have seen worse. It didn't feel fetishistic. It didn't feel no. and like they reveled in her getting hurt, which no. I appreciate. And the rape scene, which it, the, weird to me, the timing of the rape scene is really weird. But the rape scene itself is not sexualized. It is brutal. It's it's violent, not sexy, which I think is something films have a really hard time doing when it comes to rape. Thank you, thank you. So, like, look, if you want your your sexy time to involve edges of rape great that's your own personal sure. stuff and it's amazing There's and plenty it's of porn for you i don't understand when movies get yeah. like fiction is like hey this is kind of hot and we want you to feel conflicted right. about it and, and to it, me it, especially the... if it doesn't serve the story exactly the way one of the like the tr- not tr- i won't say trigger because it's the wrong word one of the quick signs that i always see immediately when i see it in a rape scene is when when there's like lingering on breasts yes right? it's not hot guys it's and yeah. it's also like in typically like so many rape scenes to go into details of them um a lot of times they're happening when there's no time it's like oh it's dark and we have a we have like five minutes to get this done and a man who's raping a woman to get that done doesn't really have time to un- to open up her blouse and reveal her breasts and do all this stuff like no, no he's trying to get in there and get out and the fact that so many male filmmakers feel the need to expose women's breasts during rape scenes is almost always going to, like, look, if you're a heterosexual dude who likes tits and tits are revealed during a violent scene, it's, it's not unreasonable for your, you physically to have a reaction to that. And it's not your fault. It is the fault of a lot of male filmmakers who feel the need to do that. And... Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a lot of credit to this episode and Don Crescarelli because this rape scene is very clearly not about sex. It is very much about control and about violence. And it happens after Ellen tells her husband she's leaving him and he just immediately does what he does to take control of a situation. And it is not sexy. It is not gratuitous. There is no nudity. It is purely violent and and cruel. And it... You know, it is not pleasant to watch by any means, but I do think it is handled if you had if you decided that you had to have that scene in there. And I don't know that you did, but if you decided you did, this is the right way to have that scene. Yeah. Um, Ethan Embry is also like awful and mean and it's not hot. And it's yes. not like no one was like, okay, Ethan, try to be hot. And if they were, he was like, I don't know what that means. And yeah. he just did, did whatever. But it's mean and it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of the whole point. If you're going to put something like that on film, it needs to serve a purpose. And yes. it needs to it needs to correctly inform you of the response you're supposed to be having. Like the response yeah. you're supposed to be having is that it's it's awful and you feel bad that it just happened in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> so... Well- and why yeah. am I right? We see that he's dead before the rape scene, right? Yes, I'm almost positive. Which is a weird choice that she, you know, she kills Moonface because, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, t- timing. I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, wait, wow, this, this is there's still like ten minutes left because we see her kill Moonface, get back to her car, open up the trunk, and there's Ethan Embry's body, yep. and then we flash back to the last thing he did to her, which was rape her, and then she was able to kill him. Mm-hmm. And that's where, I guess, I don't know, I think it's a really odd choice to show the rape after we see that she's killed him. I understand 
the desire to do both. Mm-hmm. I think showing the rape and then being like, and look how she took care of it, like she took care of that guy, is cool. So like you show the you show that scene and then the trunk opens and there is his body. That's cool. But also imagine the thinking of here's his body. How did we get here? True. Well, I'll show you. But so it's almost like you get to if you do it you you can have your cake and eat it too. If if you kind of just mush it into the middle of what you're doing Fair. because you can be like Look at look at how bad it escalated, and now look at what a badass she is. Like, uh, yeah, I I do think my preference would have been the whole like, like oh my god, she's so she's so strong and cool, and oh this terrible thing happened to her, and oh look at that, this man's dead. <laughs> <laughs> but but like I I kind of get what they were. It does. It feels like it doesn't flow well. Yeah. It almost feels like we we all we I guess again that's part of it like oh this part of the story's over and then you're like oh wait no it's not yeah and I guess it's also very much that short story thing where you have a twist and when you know the twist which again I watched this 15 years ago but I very much remembered it when I sat down to watch it again and so it was weird because I had I guess remembered it being revealed the other way so when you get like it it was a weird to watch it knowing the whole time that he is in that trunk and that he did rape her mm-hmm. that then they show that after, I think this is where the rewatch aspect um, can not necessarily hurt something, but just it's where that your memory of something is so strong and then it's slightly different from what you remember. And it's, it's just odd for that reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you remember watching this back whenever you watched it, if it was 2007 or eight and like having that, that moment of, Ethan Embry. Yes. Um. So I we realized last night too because I was like, why do I know Brie Turner? Why do I know Brie Turner? Where could I possibly know her from? Um. And then Zach was like, oh, did you ever watch that MTV show Undressed? And I went, oh my god. <laughs> when I first watched this, I said, oh no, she's from Undressed. So I recognized her. I first watched <laughs> it, and of course I know who Ethan Embry is because I. And person of my age, yep. and obviously I know who Angus Scrim is. So this is this yeah. was a good one. I was like, this is a good one because obviously Angus is is a is a is a Coscarelli pull. Yes, like yes, you you came to a Coscarelli episode and you got some Coscarelli shit. Here you go, and I and I like that a lot. And Ethan Embry is weird. That was that's weird. It's a weird. It was thing so weird it. in two thousand five because. It felt like he had just, he was always eternally a teenager. Yeah. And that, you know, very skinny, kind of goofy, like cute in a nerdy way type thing. And then suddenly I remember watching, when I watched this, I didn't realize until halfway through. And I was like, oh, that's Ethan Embry. And it just was such a weird, like, oh my God, like he grew up and lost his hair. And, 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 and it was such a jarring turn for me back in the day. And, I mean, he's continued to have a career, and you and I have both had, like, random experiences mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. him in real life, where, um, with me, it was just, he was at a convention, and, like, we were, the table I was hanging out at was right next to his, so we just, like, watched him the whole time, and he was clearly such a nice guy, um, yep. and you, he filmed something in your town, right? Yeah, growing up, he, no one came to Rhode Island, he 
was filming something in Rhode Island. I figured it out at one point. I have subsequently forgot. Um, and he used to just like hang around downtown, downtown Providence. And like, so everybody that I went to school with and used to go to school with, like see him out. And he was like really nice to everybody. <laughs> and like people like made like casual friends with him. It, was just, it always struck me as like a, what a, cause yeah. it doesn't always end well no, for young, younger It's actors. nice when you have that. Um, and I feel bad because I remember like in 2015 being like, oh my God, he got so old and gross, but he didn't get old and gross. He just, and, and also he doesn't necessarily look the way he did in this show now. I think he did, no, he does whether all, he put yeah. on weight for this part or whether at the time he was just a bigger, like heavier, more muscle guy. I don't know. Um, but he's, he's really good in it. <laughs> he's really good in this. He's very mean and he's very uncomfortable. Yeah. And and it makes you feel feelings. Uh, it, it 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 elicits the right feelings in you, and I think that that is probably a combination of the script, but also of, of him. Yeah. And yeah. the the scary thing too, and this is kind of depressing now that I say that, is that like that character has become far more um, believable and seeable today in 2020. That that's that's interesting. So. Yes. So if we weren't clear, go watch this episode. It's if you have access to it, it's free. Yeah, it's um, Roku channel, or I'm sure it's two bucks to rent on Amazon Prime. It's it's out there, and it is one of the better ones, I think. It's it's definitely worth looking at mm-hmm. again or for the first time. So it's told through flashbacks, basically. So you start off with it with Brie Turner, like modern time of wherever she is with an old cell phone, getting in a car crash, and it flashes. It, it keeps flashing back to her relationship with her husband Ethan Embry or her so the first thing we see is their first date Mm -hmm. and he is the creepiest creep that ever creeped on that date but it took me a second because that's how awful everyone is (laughs) I was like he's kind of a jerk why does she seem so into him and I was like oh wait he's like he's even more of a jerk than I because in 2005 he would have been a super jerk right but now we're think, watching it. I don't know. I don't think he would have come across as bad. I don't know. I think I, I think oh. also we were more we're more eagle eyed now to see those warning signs of a man like that. I see what you're saying. But I first I was like, I, we, we were all so so much more forgiving in 2005. I wonder if anybody even noticed. Yeah, like we didn't ask people who they voted for in 2005. He's just waving a red flag. Yes. Their first date. He's like mass murder. And she's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of cute. <laughs> Biting her lip and shit. And then she's like, let's go stand in the rain. And I'm just like, what story is this telling? I couldn't remember <laughs> some of this. And I was like, I don't know what they're trying. I'm worried about everyone right now. <laughs> like, her instincts are really bad. Yeah, but I mean, I guess that's the point. Like, fool me once, shame yeah. on me kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I, I would have been... Again, this is where I say it would have been interesting to see this in a longer form because I feel like there is some some allegorical things that mm-hmm. that didn't get to be fully fleshed out. Yeah, but as a as a timestamp of 2005, it I don't know. There are weird things about it that today play differently. Where like it not predicted like this toxic man, but there's something about that character. I feel like today we look at that guy and immediately know who he is and are afraid of him. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and like afraid of him in a way of like, oh, we know he could do bad shit, but we also know he's pathetic. But we didn't know that in 2005. And maybe that explains a lot of things that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. 
All right. So do you have any more to say about uh, episode one? Um, no, episode one is good. It is one of the higher concept ones mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to find. It tries to do a lot. Also, there's a very good chance that you recognize everybody in it. Sure. Yeah. Because Moonface is, it was in a series of, of unfortunate events television oh. show, yeah. which is one of my favorite TV shows of the last decade. <laughs> but it's a, it's a good one. It's a, it's a it time capsule yeah. one and it feels somehow still like if someone made it now you'd be like that was a good story but yeah. also it's very much of a of a time yeah i think something else we should think about doing with these is pointing out some of the very 2005 timestamps we see so the phone. the phone it's a flip phone and of course we have the no service which i mean you if you made a drinking game of every time that happened in a movie made before 2010 then you'd be drunk and dead very quickly uh the fashion a little bit I was thinking about that, like how just you know, how does she dress? Like I'm like looking at what she's wearing, and I'm like, there's something really off about that. She um, is rocking some cap sleeves, which is oh, of a time. Yeah, cap sleeves were um, so of that time. Forgot about I, cap sleeves. I hate a cap sleeve. Oh, they're very honestly, bad. If you don't have perfect arms, they are not good. Honestly, if you like a cap sleeve, that's great. But I feel like we're different women. Like, I, that's... <laughs> I appreciate a woman who can rock one. I I think they make my arms look very fat. They're uncomfortable. They, like, yeah. dig into your armpit. Like, right. who's asking? I, give me a tank top if you want this much of my armpit that's visible. That's a very like, good point, yeah. But that's fine. She So she has cap sleeves. She does She does look, she looks cute. It's it's a little off because this isn't, It's it's... It's too nondescript for you to be like, that was so 2000s, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like something someone would wear now. Yeah. She is in flats, though, which I appreciated. Same. Yeah, it made her life much easier, I think. But yeah, I mean, it didn't feel particularly dated. No, did no. It? Okay. It's just those little tiny things that you start to, when you start looking for them that you see. And, and I think it was, it was, I wasn't even thinking the cap sleeves. I was thinking the skirt, like those kind of formless <laughs> Like yes, that's brief... true. I had skirts like that. Yeah, yeah. Like they, they're they were so unflattering because they were like they went a little too high and a little too long, but they and they were so shapeless that like they didn't make anybody look good. Um, agreed. But yeah. like, come on, that's what we were doing. Very much, you know, totally. So, all right. So I think that wrap puts a wrap on our Mofi episode one. Woo! Drive safe, everybody. Yeah, watch out for Moonface.
Oh.